Welcome to Witches Being Witches. Spiritual besties chatting all things stars, skin, science, sex, and self-love. I'm Tara, Ayurvedic consultant, cosmic witch, and Vedic astrologer. And I'm Emily, qualified naturopath, holistic skin witch, and founder of natural skin and lifestyle brand, The Purist Collection. Witches Being Witches is for the woman who is ready to reclaim her power, dares to take up space, and expresses herself fully. A witch is a woman who embraces nature, its cycles, and knows that she is magic. Welcome, Welcome fellow witch. witch. We are so happy you are here. This episode is proudly brought to you by The Purist Collection, a luxury naturopath-formulated skin, body, and lifestyle brand, supporting you with herbal medicine, flower aroma, and crystal therapy, because what you put on your body is just as important as what you put in it. Available online at thepuristcollection.com. That's the with purist, P-U-R-I-S-T, collection.com. Okay, let's get into today's episode. Welcome to episode 16, Sacred Spaces with Megan Wallace-James. Megan is a creative space artist and consultant. Megan believes that our internal reality is reflected in our external space. She empowers her clients to holistically create, activate, and clear out their spaces, infusing principles of feng shui and intuition. Based in LA and working with clients all over the world, Megan's approach is modern, inspiring, and yet practical. And I think the conversation was so awesome because it was so practical Mm. in really enabling us to better lay out our space in a way that's not only functional, but a way that really feels good energetically and, and more harmonious energetically. Yeah. And there's so much power in this. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest takeaway from this episode is how our spaces really matter and influence us and our energy. And, you know, when we look at feng shui and what that incorporates. And obviously Megan's work has heavily, has heavily been influenced by feng shui. Yeah. And so when you look at the bagua, which Megan talks about, it is a energy map which has different areas in our home um, that we work with with a floor plan of our home Mm. and they all relate to a different area of our life. So family, um, wealth, career, relationships, health, knowledge and so really creating harmony in those spaces. Yeah, and and working with that. And what I really liked was the way that Megan really translated that to modern day and mm. as we said in her um, intro like really in such an inspirational way and a really empowering way as well yeah and what I love about this episode as well Em, and what I feel Megan really touches on is uh, Vatsu Strasta which is the Vedic um, interpretation of mm. feng shui so that is very much the science of space And it's one of the Vedic limbs that I, you know, I talk about and talk about to my clients. And it is really incorporating that, that harmony and, you know, enhancing the positive energies around us. Yeah. Um, So I think this has so much power and it was a huge changer for me. So I've worked with Megan Mm. and yeah, it is just another way to cultivate more abundance 
and more ease and flow in your life. Totally. And I, I really think that it is such a beautiful wellness practice, that space as medicine tool, mm. really. Yeah. Yeah. Enjoy the episode, fellow witch. Welcome, Megan. Welcome to Witches Being Witches. We're so excited to have you here. And we love to start with knowing what your sun, moon, and rising signs are. Okay. Um, now, is this Western astrology, or am I giving you what you gave me as my modified? Yeah, let's start with your Western, because I think it's really interesting. <laughs> I think I'm like the only one in the semi world of wellness who's not um, big on astrology, but I love to learn more. My sun sign is Libra. My rising sign is Capricorn and my moon is in Scorpio. Oh, yeah. And so I did Megan's Vedic and I was laughing because her sun actually changes to Virgo. Oh. which is, <laughs> uh, you know, all about organization and um, clutter-free and just the, the that typical thing. So I was laughing and with a Libra moon. So, Ooh. yeah, very interesting. And what is your human design, Megan? From what I understand, I'm a manifesting generator. Amazing. Yeah, yeah I can say that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So we would love to know how you got to where you are right now and <laughs> as like expanded or as detailed as you like and yeah, mm. where you are currently. Yeah. Well, I feel like I'm almost in the temperance card of tarot. I kind of fell into my work. And I was really a reactive member to the work in a beautiful way. But I think peak pandemic, which there's different peaks based on where you live. I'm based in Los Angeles. I just felt that I needed to kind of take everything down and rebuild it in a way that felt much more in alignment to me. And I'm very... I feel really big feelings and I act really quickly. So I don't know what that means in the human design of it all, but I just closed down my membership, took my site offline, took myself offline and honestly took my modality that I've been developing for space. And I applied it to my personal life and I accessed realms of healing that um, I'm still processing. I'm still in the midst of, and it's been really beautiful. And um, that's kind of where I am. And now I'm starting to build a new team and to put things in more of an artistic lens than perhaps in wellness and how it will all shake out. I'm not quite sure. I have a big picture vision of wanting to kind of safeguard this work and share it where it needs and wants to be shared. But in terms of the traditional models of how to sell your services and how to be a content creator, that's not what I want to do in the ways that we're told to do it. So I'm in, it's like, I haven't stopped working, but the outward indications of it have I've, taken them all down. So it's a really 
it's a really interesting moment. And I think throughout my entire, um, I've been at this three or four years now, I'm always very transparent and vulnerable and I don't quite know what I'm doing, but I also feel like I really do. So I don't know if that's helpful to anyone listening, but yeah, it's, this is what it's, absolutely fascinates me about you, um, Megan, and why I'm so drawn to you is it is extremely, um, like, like you said, just pulling down your website and pulling off your membership. I was trying to find you and <laughs> love you break all the rules. And that's how I kind of see your work as well. And in a really innovative way, because you are like leading the way in creating something different and you know you're it's exactly what you've described you're going into a new space that hasn't been developed before and that's what I love about your work with feng shui I don't even know how to describe you when you know I was speaking to Emily about you I just don't even know what to call you because the like the energy that you're able to transform I feel like when you put a label of feng shui it kind of limits your work so I'd love to know how that is being restrictive to you and Mm -hmm. how you've been able to yeah really create your own kind of modality and yeah and I guess really for those of us who are not familiar with your work how did you come to do what you do as well can you tell us a little bit of the Mm. back yeah yeah so I think I think it's actually dangerous to try to give everything a name. And I think a lot of what stops a lot of people is trying to explain something as you're building it. Um, I think that life is an ongoing exploration and I'm huge on permission granted. I came from a very restrictive household and I think that changing your mind's a really beautiful thing. And it's, it's to be celebrated and that you've got to go where the energy takes you. So my work did start being called feng shui. Feng shui to me was a huge light bulb moment that made a lot of things that had happened in my life make sense to me. It kind of, it didn't kind of, it gave me a literal map of questions I had long had and I won't say I've outgrown feng shui at all, but I think that I don't practice it at least even in the westernized version specifically. So it's there for not fair to call it feng shui, for feng shui and for me. I'm like, I, I'm just deep in reverence for things and the words that come up for me a lot in the wellness space are legitimacy and ethics and responsibility and I don't want it to sound like I take myself that seriously, but I do take, I I do, I do want to be very careful with accepting money to give advice to people. I mean, I think that's a really sacred transaction and what I am advising them on is not feng shui. I think I needed to call it feng shui to have the confidence to say that I actually see things that I can't explain or unpack. It's some layer of intuitive understanding of being able to witness 
physical blocks and people's spaces and styles and personal lives. And then knowing a way specific to that individual where they can remove the block aesthetically and energetically and actually empower themselves to go beyond whatever the block was indicating. Mm. So that's- um, yeah, this is where I love it. Em and I have um, always been into feng shui mm. and the Western, not um, disregarding it at all, but it felt really gimmicky. And when I first started looking into feng shui and implementing it, it was all these um, gimmicks like put this here or this is going to happen. And it was very like fear driven. And um, mm -hmm. I found your work just so liberating because you actually look at the spaces and you want to understand it. You want to feel the energy. So it's not necessarily about putting this um, crystal here or this remedy here. It's more about how is this making you feel and then really um, making it your own. And so this is something really different that I think that's why it's hard to find a label because you are literally shifting and changing spaces. You well, said, well go ahead, sorry. Yeah. No, please. You, you said before that um you've always had like a, this sort of reverence and understanding and respect for I suppose feelings and and you said kind of clearing blocks, etc., and recognizing mm -hmm. those. And obviously your work's been inspired on on some level by feng shui. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about how how you started to put that together? and how you started to kind of model your own version. Yeah, so I, I'm, my, I'm my OG guinea pig and I'm always experimenting. That's what I call all of this. I call it experimentation. And eventually I think it would be really beautiful to have the time and the space to get my doctorate and start to qualitate my research projects. Um, so I think the word research for me, it feels like a safe word. It feels like an exploration of personal development and doing no harm. Uh, I don't try to fix things. I just try to play an experiment. So I, I offer that up. Uh, when I first found feng shui, it was around 2013. I had just moved to Los Angeles. I was big into drinking the Kool-Aid. I had come from the fashion industry in New York City. And I started signing up for all these different classes and workshops and a teacher along the way recommended I read a feng shui book. And it got me really excited to know that there are rules. So the things that I love are also the things that I fight against. It's um, science and rules and, and what I would call firm boundaries and wild freedom within. So I wasn't able to implement much feng shui. My marriage was kind of ending. We were renovating we have very different opinions on, you know, what is logic and what is beautiful and what makes sense. So I have two young sons and as we would move homes and bop around rentals in LA, I would play and experiment with feng shui for years before I started sharing it even with friends. And I did try a lot of the cures recommended by Western feng shui. And I would have to say that they made me feel, um, they made me feel broken. I, I got really attached to looking at it and then saying like, well, something is wrong if there needs to be 
a crystal or a, or a piece of red ribbon and I would fixate on the wrong and I would almost reinforce the lack mentality of whatever it was meant to be reversing. So when I began sharing my work with friends, um, I didn't use those cures. I used other cures like moving the piece of furniture or a fresh coat of paint or whatever would be in the line of sight that would uplift. Now, lines of sight are really important to my current modality. What we see and what that inspires us to feel and what that means as we even transit through our home, we can go on autopilot in our life. I'm always trying to drive the kids to school a different way. And it's a 10 minute drive and there are not that many different ways to go. But the idea that you're always seeing something different and it's always unlocking something different. So I think that's when the work started deviating. Mm -hmm. um, and now, honestly, when I use feng shui, it's to help a client make a decision. So if I know that we need a new bed for whatever reason, I've been doing more interior projects. Um, and depending on if the client wants to stay and root into this particular space or is hoping to go somewhere else or whatever the declared intent is, feng shui might help determine a material or a color or a placement. But I do, and I found this over and over again, that unless the home makes sense as a home, it's not, it's, it's not even ready for feng shui. So I say, I like things to be honest and groovy. A bathroom needs to honestly be a bathroom. It can be a groovy bathroom, but that's not feng shui. And I don't think stacking the deck with whatever would be that interpretation of the feng shui map. Often I found that totally detracts from the experience of using the bathroom, for example. So it still has a place in the repertoire. I think what I used to call it is now just one of the tools in the tool belt. And I'm really big into, um, I mean, almost everyone I work with is a seeker and is picking up things and is saying, am I an astrology person? Am I a Vedic astrology? Am I human design? Am I, and I think we need the tools until we don't need the tools and we either fully outgrow the tool or we integrate it and it becomes an extension of our essence. Mm. And I'm somewhere in that. And, mm. and I think it's, yeah, yeah. That's a, I don't know if that answers the question. Yeah, I love that. And having a um, a session with you, Megan, I didn't realize just how uh, deep and how psychological it was really going to be because you really looked at what was going on in my life and it translate like it translated into the home. And then you looking at those areas in my house and it being so effortless for you and just being, this needs to change. This is what you need to do with this. Like just suggestions. And it just really changed the energy, the space, um, and what was going on in my life at those particular points in time as well. Mm -hmm. And so I, yeah, it's just incredible to me that, it is, yeah, you can't really put a, a label on it, but it is like just working with these sacred spaces and just little shifts like moving that plant out of my office 
or making sure that the doorway is clear so you have energy coming in and just these things like you say that you forget because you're looking at it daily and you can just come Mm -hmm. in pick it up so easily well it's really vulnerable to have someone come into your home and come into your life whether it's you know I'm physically there with my clients or I'm remotely there and it means so much to me so I try to throw anything and everything at them that I see knowing that it's their choice, what they wish to integrate or not. Uh, There's been maybe two times out of the, you know, 1000 homes I've been in where I really felt like something was a safety hazard. And I was kind of adamant that something shift other than that, you know, you have to just offer it up. And I really do like people to, sit with it, stroll with it, sleep on it, and then see what comes up as their truth. Mm. Um, I think it's very important that we make our decisions consciously and we do them because they make sense to us and because we want to experiment and play with it versus this was another reason I pulled away from feng shui. There's a lot of, you know, my feng shui master said this and this needs to happen or you cannot have a stove here. You cannot do this. And um, I, I don't believe in, in, you know, it's like I like to play in the language of duality, but I don't actually believe in it. And I think that everyone needs to kind of calibrate and we're always evolving. So our spaces would always be evolving theoretically as well. Maybe not quite in tandem, but we'd be infusing freshness every so often. And often we need someone else who's not on autopilot through the space mm-hmm. to be our mirror for that. And so that's, that's really why I just love the work. Mm. I think Tara and I can really relate to that as wellness practitioners and that um, common theme of, yeah, making suggestions to empower that person and them taking on what feels right to them in that moment. And like Tara was saying, mm-hmm. oh, en- encompassing that emotional and mental energy as well, as opposed to just physically and, and literally what's going on on that surface level. So I think that's awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like you've learned the rules so you can break them <laughs> in what you've done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Megan, when you're working with clients, um, like you were working with me, you said to me, you know, what are the two areas that you really want to focus on? And normally, well, I don't know, but this translated into what was going on with um, me personally as well, those two rooms that I chose. And one of them was um, my study, my work area. And mm-hmm. I was wondering if you could talk to us about ways that we can incorporate or or ways that we can set ourselves up to work with our spaces, like just generally. Mm. Mm. Well, um, I'd love to teach your listeners a moving meditation that I do, that I do in my own life and I do guide clients through. And I have something I call pockets of discord. And so if you've been out of your space, even for a nice long walk, and you come home and you just turn on detective eyes, it's a cheesy saying, but I think it just clarifies that we've got to have that gaze of neutrality. 
you live there, but you don't live there for this exercise. And you walk around with a legal pad and a pen or, or your phone, what have you. And you just, you're honest with yourself and you write down everything that gives you pause in the space. It might be a kitchen cabinet. It might be the entire kitchen. It's, it's the things you're aware that you're aware of. And it's other things that on some level have been weighing on you. And you just jot them all down. And then you have your list and you work through it. And even if you're not quite sure why you wrote something down, you honor yourself enough to go dig around, root in it, and transmute some level of chaos into order. I think keeping it outside of the map or, you know, the clear metaphors of I work here, I'm going to do the office. I think that's a really nice way to get integrated with your space. I just blocked a couple of weeks last month and we've been in our home two years now. And most of that time's obviously been in the midst of a pandemic. And so I was homeschooling and you know, the house had to do a lot. All of our spaces have had to do so much more lately. And I thought, well, it's almost been two years. I'm at a bit of a crossroads with um, some personal relationships and career ambitions. And I'm going to go through room by room. I not only root out pockets of discord, but just make bold moves to make bold moves. And it started with rotating a few rugs, giving them different homes in the house that made the rooms feel very different. And then kind of rearranging around that and rooting out these pockets of discord. I know it sounds like a tremendous amount of work. It was deeply cathartic. And I feel like I'm still riding that wave of my life kind of cleaning up in ways that the home is. And you think, oh, well, just two years. I mean, there was so much stuff there that I wasn't even aware of. And I'm hyper aware of this. Mm-hmm. And none of that was um, really anything other than trying to infuse some freshness and obviously some order. And my, my sons are now seven and nine. So they're not five and seven, they're seven and nine and their needs have changed. So just kind of opening up the house for that too. So I think when you, when you tune into your intuition, but also when you are heavy on practicality of how does the family need to use the living room right now? Okay, how are we going to use the dining room now that we're not homeschooling? And you go through that and you can make as much meaning as you want to make, but I would encourage anyone listening to this to just get curious and go for it. And it's not a pretty process. And it's a little bit like if you give a mouse a cookie, do you guys know that children's book? No, it's an American children's book. If you give a mouse a cookie, he's going to want a glass of milk. He's going to want a straw. He's going to, you know, it just goes and goes and goes. And that's how this work is, right? Well, if I'm going to not use my office at home as an office, well, then what would it be? I don't want dead space in the house. I need to assign the room a role. And it just goes. And everyone would say, well, I don't have time for that. And I don't believe that. I think we waste so much time. Everybody's on their phones, on their on their butts, on the couch. I mean, this is work I'm obsessed with because the byproduct is a home in order that looks and feels really good to you. But the true gem mind is, is a life in flow. And it's a life in flow because you've actually given your mind some time to, to clean itself out and to get lost in the crevices and there's just so many epiphanies when you 
when you really let your body get lost in this work. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's where I'm at. And I'm just really seeing things more clearly. Mm -hmm. And I want to make conscious, careful decisions based on this emerging clarity. Because we all know you clarity is fleeting and you can't, you can't, you can wish for it, but when it starts to come in, it's so golden because we can't force clarity, but we can lay a foundation. We can give ourselves room to find it, to court the muse of clarity. And I think that's what a lot of this, this work is about. Yeah. And I love that. So you know, I work with the lunar cycle, so the new moon and the full moon. And so the full moon kind of gets overlooked because, you know, the new moon is typically for manifesting. But to mm-hmm. me, the full moon is so important because it's where we really assess what we need to let go of, what we need to release, how we can create space. And that to me has been uh, really key when I've been working with you, Megan, realizing just how important it is to create space for what you're wanting to call in because if there's no space for it Mm. how are you going to get that uh, in alignment for that manifestation that's coming in there's no point calling it in if there's no room for it yeah yeah so I love that you've really brought my attention to that and you know just even things you know on the floor like I had some boxes on the floor and you know just changing that and shifting that this has been such a up leveling for me and Mm. I feel that this isn't ever talked about because Mm. you know logically when we say you know I'm going to move that box um, how is that going to change my life but the shift and the energy and the flow you know until you do it and experience it you can't really kind of explain it. So I love that you have that curiosity Mm. and I'm definitely going to go through the house again. and Yeah. It's it's not about spiritual bypassing or, or having these shortcuts, but I think on a, a really practical scale, it's forcing yourself to make decisions that you've been avoiding making the boxes on the floor because it doesn't have a home. Mm. So it's it's not mystical in that sense, but what it feels like when you get in bed that night and you look in the corner where you're used to seeing a bunch of boxes, which anyone would say that's not really a sexy ambiance for an adult's bedroom, right? Yeah. And you know that the boxes are gone and not only are they gone, they're gone because you either went through them, yeah. you made space for them, you made decisions. And that's all that mental clutter therefore gone because I, I think it's okay to, to regret letting something go or to wish that you hadn't because only in hindsight can you say that. So I'm all for just trying to, to move through this world and I'd rather someone have a regret that they let that one pair of jeans go, for example, right? Than that they just lived in kind of messy chaos for years and almost use that as an excuse to be haphazard in the rest of their life. Mm. Yeah. Um, The fusion of um, feeling and function, like you said about the boxes, they have no role being on the floor. And if anything, you're probably walking over them and around them. So functionally they're not 
helping, but then also from a, a feeling and an energetic perspective, they're not serving any purpose. So yeah, I think it's really cool. Yeah, and there's always something okay, cool. like really philosophical, like that Megan will bring <laughs> up. And you're right, Megan. It's something that you've been ignoring or something that you're trying to step around. Your house is actually communicating that to you. And that's what I just find so fascinating. And if you can see those signs and unlock it, and then you can work with that energy and clear it. Mm. Um, yeah, I love that. And I guess, again, a lot of parallels to other wellness practices where, mm. yeah, there's things that you have ignored for a really long time and then your body or your home or whatever, the best mm -hmm. kind of throwing up those flags that something needs to shift. Mm. Yeah. I'm really into, I mean, there's so little in our actual control. I think that's part of finding peace on this earth plane, but we can control the dwelling we call our home at any given time. And of course, would it be, you know, our, our mind will play tricks of, well, when I'm in love or when I have that kind of house or when I live here, then I'll do it but then you don't build the muscle and you really give away the little bit of control that you do have. Um, I am an unabashed control freak and this helps me root in and feel like, okay, well, I cannot control so much, but I can go through my garage once a year and I can make it look more visually appealing because when I pull my car in, that's my line of sight. That's my first impression of coming home again. My kids play out there. I mean, it all makes sense. And then you can, again, as I said, add as much meaning onto it. I know when I was cleaning out the garage as kind of the coup de grace to going through room by room in the house. Um, I, this guy had come to my house warming and like brought an overnight bag and like he was going to spend the night and it was a pretty raucous party and I found his overnight bag from like two years ago and it was in a, in a Tupperware, like on a shelf in the garage. And I have no ill feelings about this man. Nothing bad happened, but I was just thought it was strange that that was on the shelf in the garage and it felt really good to let it go. I assumed he didn't need it as I hadn't heard from him. And it's just a silly example, but it just felt great to kind of, move it along. And in that I had a moment of reverence of, you know, the span of these two years and that house party feeling and to, and to now what's going on and could kind of witness my growth and the evolution of relationships. And there's all those little, little moments of discovery. Mm. Yeah, I love that. And it's like letting go of that old identity as well. Mm. And there's one thing that I haven't let go of is my um, my draft plans for my I Emily and I have a background in fashion design and I had like my own collection and I had these mm. patterns that I spent so much time on and yeah like even though uh, it's not something that I know I'll ever go back to there's just something that I'm like, I need to let that go. And I'm still holding on to that bit of that identity. And just you saying this, I'm like, how important that is to let that go because that's no longer attached to me, but yet I'm still holding on to it. And yeah, so I think there is a lot of clarity in that really looking at 
is this serving your life now and why are you holding on to it? That triggers so much anxiety in me. <laughs> I'm, I'm such a hoarder. Like, but what if? What if? Like, how do <laughs> and I'm, fashion? Yeah, I mean, I'm not a staunch minimalist and I'm not completely unsentimental. And I think patterns you've drafted and invested in are very different than some random dudes, like hoping to get <laughs> laid overnight bag. Those are different things. And I depending on who I'm working with, I'll often design rituals for them to either put things in a literal sacred container. And this is the space I have for my childhood mementos or, you know, the ghosts of career past and what are they living in and why are they living there and why am I saving them? I've helped actresses shred thousands of, um, headshots but you know save some and put those in a special drawer you know to to look back on when when they're old and gray and they can you know remember that so I don't think that if you're I think if you're not letting go of something but it's taking up space that you need for the present moment mm -hmm. then it's an issue but I wouldn't say blanket statement we cannot keep you know our home for the most part is a reflection of where we've been to imbue a bit of room to, for where we're going is a luxury and it's a nice thing to have. And it's definitely a layer of permission granted to keep evolving and growing and searching and seeking. But I just wanted to say that I think that we're, each person has to make those decisions. And if the space is functioning for the present moment and there's a nice place to keep the old, that's lovely. But to have the old predominate room for the new, I think that becomes, I won't use the word dangerous, but it, it becomes limit, limiting, right? Mm. Definitely. Yeah. I love that. And I guess the work that you do is obviously very individual because my functionality is going to be different to Tara's and also then when with it being feeling based as well obviously everyone is going to feel differently if we were to walk through our homes are there certain things that we should be looking out for especially in the major rooms like our, our bedrooms our kitchens our bathrooms our living spaces is there do you have any advice kind of blanket advice I guess yeah, I think this line of sights thing I'm fixated on right now is a great, um, you know, one size fits all because you can really tailor it as you walk, you know, into your front door. What's the first thing that you see? How does that make you feel? Okay, then you turn the corner and you're going where and what do you see? I mean, I walk into a lot of people's kitchens and uh, I think my eyes are kind of trained to find what's wrong. Um, and that's a beautiful gift from childhood. But, you know, what is the first thing I see is often a huge kind of dirty trash can. And that's the kitchen. And kitchens are supposed to be about cleanliness and health and preparing food. So things like that, if you're single, a really fun game to play is walking through your house like a lover would, like coming in through the front door, navigating back to the bedroom. And what are, are you a single parent? And we're seeing all these images of your kids. Are we seeing your self-help books? 
not that you know it's, it's a sad scene to be to be single but to play into some rom-com stereotypes it's like what is this transit telling the person taking the transit because it's telling you those things too so i think that's a really nice game to play as you're you know finding these pockets of joy when you come into that room and how does it make you feel what does it tell you about what happens in this space mm. you come into someone's bedroom and it's like the cat climbing monstrosity you know how what does that mean about what's happening in your bedroom yeah the cat thing can go somewhere does it have to go right there I always say cats and wires are like the bane of my existence. There's everyone's like, what's the best place for my litter box? I'm like, nowhere. Like it's not, <laughs> there's not a good answer for that one, but it's got to go somewhere and things have to go somewhere. And that was when I was calling it feng shui, people would be so concerned that their laundry room was in their love corner. And I'm like, but you need to do laundry. And it's great. You have a washer dryer in your unit things have to go somewhere. Sometimes our past has to go somewhere. Sometimes we're ready to let it go. But what we have, why we have it, where it lives, I think that's the, the most practical way to get started. And does it feel good as you move through your space? There's often a myriad, I'm talking with my hands, a myriad of ways to move through space. You know, how do you wake up in the morning and you go make your coffee? What does that even feel like? Are the cups by the coffee maker? Mm. How does it, that kind of common sense. And then you can start to layer in whatever your school of thought is. If you're a crystal person or whatever, you can, you can stack the deck with all of that. That's not, mm. that's not my wheelhouse, but I do like homes to make sense and to look beautiful as we move through them and tuck those necessary things not out of sight, out of mind, but just not right in the forefront, predominating the room. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's it. Sounds so simple. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of it is. Yeah, yeah, and it's so important. Like Megan was mortified when I was showing her <laughs> house, and at the moment, it was <laughs> I was not mortified of your beautiful home. Well, we've got a new dining table and the old one that we had is massive and it is solid Jarrah wood. And so logistically moving it out has been a challenge. And so at the moment it is sitting. Is it still there? <laughs> Sorry. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh my goodness. In front of the front door. So it blocks off. And I'm working on it this weekend. Okay. Okay. You're calling now. <laughs> but it was really interesting and it was so fascinating because uh, I said to Megan as well, our front door we never use because it's awkward. You have to get like a key and, you know, so I'm always going in a side and just like knowing the energetics of what that is saying about coming to the mm. side and being awkward. <laughs> Um, and I think that's really important as well. Could you speak to the front door and mm. how you come into the home, Megan, and, and do you, and yeah, how important that is? Well, I do want to say, I think that 
working with our space becomes such a powerful metaphor for our lives because these are big objects. They come with big price tags. They're bigger than us. Our space is bigger than us. And so these are big decisions, even if they're not highly important decisions, right? Getting a new table takes effort. It takes dollars. It takes time and space. So I think that's where I got really fixated with space where just the sheer size and scale and scope of it would imply so much else. Um, because years before I was working with space, I was working with style, but then you start to be like, well, why am I hanging all of these beautiful clothes in your New York city apartment that's been renovated, but you've never cleaned the dust out of the closet. Mm -hmm. And why am I helping you style yourself for these job interviews when you're sleeping beside like your medication and reinforcing that you don't have the energy to do these new jobs. So it just kind of sprawled from there where if we could start from the outside in, what would that rewire? The front door is really important in westernized feng shui. It's um, in the school I studied, it starts off the Bagua map. So that kind of orients you in the space versus cardinal directions or astrology or anything else. Uh, it's still very important to me because it is you know, it starts that line of sight. It is the first impression. It is where most people will come when they come to your home. Mm -hmm. So I'll say to my, I work with a lot of um, people calling in love. That's kind of my specialty. Um, and, you know, if someone were to come pick you up from dinner for dinner, mm -hmm. you know, would they be able to find you? Is your address marked? Would they, does the doorbell work? Um, does it look like a happy home? Does it look just simple stuff that we always like to say doesn't matter, but it does matter. And it's nice to know that that very first impression of your home is conscious. It's well thought out. It's a mix of welcoming yet safe. I think it's just kind of sets the, the tone for the rest of the house. And so a lot of people don't use their front doors. That's fine, but you should still be checking in with it. It should still be able to open cleanly and clearly and make logical sense. I think it just starts kind of as the start of the story of that house. Mm. I really so, am intrigued as a single witch of the podcast. <laughs> Tell me, how do I bring love in? And I also have, I guess this is a two-part question. I have also got mm -hmm. a slightly unorthodox front door, I guess, because I'm in an apartment. So I've kind of got multiple entryways. Yes. Yeah. So in the, in the vein of controlling what you can control, mm -hmm. um, I, I've been in a duplex in an apartment and then two standalone homes on my, you know, many stops post marriage. And I think there's the blend of, what's your business and what's not your business when you live in an apartment and some buildings are smaller, they're more communal. You could, you know, do a, I've had clients do some landscaping out front that's felt appropriate. I have a client right now um, I'm working with, she's in a massive building. I just want her front door to blend into all the others. I want no one to know that this incredible, amazing babe is, you know, living behind this door. So it depends on, I will go with my clients um, remotely or physically 
outside of their building and kind of come in and we'll make a decision based on that. So I've had clients paint the front door of their entire apartment building, a specific shade of Bordeaux that they wear on their lips to call in creative jobs at the museum. I mean, it's been all across the board. And in terms of love, I mean, I'd love to see your actual space. And, and I do a big intake with my clients. That's a lot of what are the stories you're telling about yourself and your home? I think on some level, um, the most important, mm, how do I want to say this? You need to be proud of the moment of time you're in. Mm. And you need to be proud to host someone there in a romantic capacity. I think that radical accountability that this is what it is. This is who I am. This is where I'm at right now. It's really, really potent medicine for calling in love. And I, you know, all of my great love stories have happened when maybe the optics weren't awesome, but I just found a way to have a lot of confidence with what was happening and why it was happening. And I controlled what I could control and I owned it. And I feel like that's the big that's the big thing, not putting it outside of you, mm. not making it a total sex den, but um, it's a blend. It's based on like what, even what is your vision of how the relationship would take, take up space in your home. Mm. I have clients who want to say goodbye to this, to go, you know, cohabitate somewhere else. Or I have, I have clients who want someone to come move in. And so what are, what is the declared intent? What I love about this work is that we remove the barriers, but we can't control the outcome. So often we will have what we wish to happen, and then we will have what actually happens. And almost always what actually happens is in highest, you know, highest accordance. It's in our best interest it may not be exactly what we want, but we're opening ourselves. It's almost like we hit a cosmic fast forward. And so I did all this stuff in my house just now. And then I had a fissure um, in my family of origin and in my romantic life. And I didn't want that to happen, but I'm really at peace with it because it does feel like things had run their course Perhaps they'll come back in a different fashion. Perhaps they won't. But because I'm controlling what I can control and I'm getting really clear on where I want to go and why, mm. I have to trust that what's happening is for the best of everyone involved. And so it's it's a lot of surrender, this work. And I think to really reach the point of surrender is the goal of a lot of things. And there just comes a point where it's not about the space anymore. It's about actually letting go and living in it and having your girlfriends over and, you know, masturbating in the middle of the living room and whatever, but like really filling this space with joyful energy and being open to like, you meet your space, your space meets you back. You meet the universe, the universe meets you back. And you have to accept that what is happening is what is happening. But what if something in your home is not happening and you can't control it, like you cannot walk through your front door because the table's been there. So that's that's a different thing than let, setting the stage and letting the action unfold. So there's some people I kind of say, stop cleaning, stop doing, stop reorganizing, just be. 
just mm. be in this be in this space I'm thinking that maybe so in my bedroom I've got one bedside table which is my bedside table but then I have nothing on the other side so I want just a huge I'm cat like, climbing tree <laughs> no, no, not that bad. I'm do, I'm just wondering though, maybe I should go out and, and get some kind of bedside table for the other side of the bed. <laughs> yes. I think so. I mean, I always ask people to sleep in their own guest bedrooms, right? And experience yeah. your space as though someone else would. Mm. And it's nice to have a place to rest a glass of water. Do they have to be matchy-matchy? No, but could someone actually enjoy spending the night I think you know there's always where it's just enough and then we get into far too much I've been one of my very first clients had like the table set for two and I was like this this is too much you know <laughs> let's let's pull it back let's just have those things ready we don't need them laid and waiting but then the opposite end of the spectrum where there's literally no room for another person and then we're bemoaning that there's not another person. And so little things, I have a whole list I call sex ed for adults. I'm repurposing it as a, as a zine, I think. But, you know, if you live on a street that needs a parking permit, have a parking permit, have a toothbrush, have some condoms, whatever. We don't need the table set. We don't need, you know, half the closet empty. There's there's scaring people and then there's giving them space to play. Mm. And depending on what our ideal version of love is, and I think that's vast as it should be, mm-hmm. we should have just enough to give the start of love a chance to root in, but not feel trapped and not feel, um, I don't know, when I moved into my uh now my ex-husband's place it was definitely designed for two but it didn't seem as though he was waiting on another but there you know he had renovated there were two sinks there was it was just really comfortable and I thought oh this is probably what he wants to happen in here and it was Mm. but I didn't feel like you know I had like fallen into a spider's web or something like that. So it's that healthy blend. And we all know that feeling, right? Of when space feels good and welcoming and open and ready for something. And I often encourage my clients to talk to your space in whatever way you want to talk to your space. I feel like I dialogue with my home just in my head. I don't speak out loud to it, but I think it's nice when homes have a name. I think it's nice when they know what's going on. Hey, we're happy here, but we want to buy a house one day. Just just little things that, again, let the energy know where to go and why. Mm. And then ease back into enjoying the present moment and actually doing what you set the rooms up to do. Mm. Yeah, I love that. Mm. Megan, I would love to know how we can work with you, what you're doing at the moment. And yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I am ramping back up a website. I'll probably reconsider a membership Right now, um, I guess people are finding me and just emailing me and we're setting up consultations. I do two different length consultations at the moment. I'm doing a 90 minute, which is a really great amount of time. And then I also do for larger properties or more in-depth circumstances, three hours. And both of those include a little follow-up at three weeks because I found that even if not all of the work is done or even started, just that 
that plan has already happened, there's a lot of early shifts and changes that would indicate kind of what's opening up in the home and out of the home. And I really love those, those check-ins. So um, maybe you guys can put my email very old school here and um, that could be a good, that could be a good starting point, but I'd like to, I'd like to see what it wants to grow into again. And um, yeah, I don't know. Art projects. We'll share your details in the show notes. Yeah. Lastly, Megan, we love to ask, uh, what does health is a new wealth mean to you? Mm, I saw that you wrote that in the email. I mean, I think that I'm really into the foundational energies. And if you're not, if you're not well in your head or in your body, it's really hard to care about anything else. And it has felt like a real privilege to, to block most of this last year and to get right in my head and my body and my home. And now I feel like the sky's the limit. And I just, you know, if you think about a space and a foundation of a space and you are that foundation, so your wealth your health is wealth. I mean, that's just ground zero, right? Gets mm-hmm. it all going. So um, all the other stuff is bonus. That's that's the real, yeah, the real strength we have. I love that. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for coming on, which is being which is Megan. Yeah, thank it you. has yeah, been so so fascinating diving into your work. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I highly recommend, like I said, has um, created so many shifts for me. So yeah, I'm excited for where you're heading as well. And yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. You ladies are so lovely and gentle and I really appreciate you um, having me in this nebulous moment. So it means a lot and um, just thank you so much. Thanks for listening, fellow witch. We hope you enjoyed this episode and are inspired to have a fresh look at your spaces and the practical things that you can implement. I know Em and I have had some good aha moments that we're going to implement. Totally, totally. And we would love to hear about what you took away from this episode. Come and join us in our Facebook coven, WBW Coven. Um, find us on Instagram. We are at Witches Being Witches. And as always, if you loved this episode, we would really appreciate a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Thanks, fellow witch. Thanks for listening to Witches Being Witches. Remember, happiness is the new rich. Inner peace is the new success. Health is the new wealth. And kindness is a new call. We'll see you next episode.